0: I'm just looking, thank you. The hesitation in your voice, soon to be an echo in the recesses of the spheres of retail. Mm -hmm. The dress is your image onto what you project through an illusion. I'm just going on a date. I don't normally wear this kind of thing. Be bold. Your date will compliment you. I would like you to announce the numbers to your telephone. 01632. Nine, six, um, and seven, seven, and, seven eight, and eight, six, and six, and stuff. As promised. Thank you. You look different. Oh my God, what's that? That looks nasty. Maybe just the washing powder. Oh, I hope it isn't catchy. How's it going, Sheila? Everything's fine. What happened to your Washing machine went bananas. You who wear me will know me. What's that supposed to mean? It's just a cheap bit of mystery. I think something's wrong with that dress. Don't tell me you're scared of a dress. The dog ripped it to pieces. It's spanking you almost. Such a pretty dress. <laughs> Anything nice in the sales? Just a dress. My name's Tom Jennings, and this is the 24 Frames cast. And this will be um, a very short episode today. I'm only going to be talking about one film. Um, I've decided to try and get on a schedule of putting more episodes out, and rather than kind of just waiting kind of month after month as it were, I'm going to just try and kind of record more often. Um, there's definitely a few longer format episodes in the pipeline, which should be around soon and of course the Masters of Cinemacast is back, you can find us on mastercinemacast.blogspot.com. Um Before I get into the film we're going to be talking about a quick um, bit of housekeeping, um, a road movie I made um, about, well not much a road movie, a travelogue film I made about America. Um, I'll be posting that on Twitter soon and on the blog at 24framescast.blogspot.com. The competition to win a a Blu-ray copy of The Snake Pit is still open. All you have to do is write a review of the show somewhere, normally probably on iTunes would be helpful to me, send me a link when you've done it and I will forward you a copy of that Blu-ray on. So with that all out the way, I'm going to be talking about Peter Strickland's In Fabric. There is a moment in Peter Strickland's new film In Fabric where a mother, recently separated and sexually frustrated, watches through a keyhole as her son performs oral sex on his girlfriend. One might expect her to recoil in horror, to blush, to elicit any sense of embarrassment that she has witnessed such a private and intimate moment. Instead, she moves away. Her face resigned to the fact that this will be another evening where is she who is not being sexually fulfilled. Indeed, her reaction is one of jealousy, not one of being abashed. It appears to be done so matter of fact that you almost don't notice or digest what has actually occurred. A mother, jealous, watching her son give oral sex. Is it not a bit, well, incesty and wrong? Well, this is a Peter Strickland film, and it's what, really, I've come to expect from him. What should be shocking, what should make her recall and discuss, is just another part of his unique cinematic worlds that he creates. This is the follow-up to one of my favourite films of 2015, The Duke of Burgundy, and Strickland has carved out an interesting niche as a filmmaker. His work seems to fit between genres. Just when you think you are going full Italian Dario Argento horror, he will suddenly change direction, throwing in some bizarre absurdism, alla David Lynch, and in the case of In Fabric, even ground you in a kind of Mike Leigh suburban domestic situation by revealing family tensions within a thatchy era new build cul-de-sac. He seems to set his films in a past that is both familiar with its costumes, technology, art direction. Yet he puts through a unique filter and turns time and location into a comic horror, heavily textured approximation of a world that we might think we recognise, yet is actually wholly different from a reality. In Fabric is definitely Strickland's most assured film to date. Apparently it was influenced by his trip to department stores with his mother, and who wasn't put through that ordeal as a child and also the simple image of a red dress floating in the air. The film takes place in Thames Valley upon Thames where we join Sheila Woodchapel, played by Marianne Jean Baptiste, a single mother living with son Vince, and his girlfriend Gwen, played by Gwendoline Tristine, is quite happy to do whatever she pleases in the house, including taking Sheila's clothes, spending hours in the bathroom, and making extremely loud noises when having sex with Vince. She spends her time looking for through lonely hearts columns in the newspaper. Yes, this is very much pre Tinder, and having secured a date with the impressive sounding Adonis, takes herself off to the local department store, Dentley and whereupon she comes into contact with Miss Luckmore, played by Strickland regular Fatim Mohammed, who, along with other assistants are dressed like Victorian witches, all overlooked by the creepy Mr Lundy. Miss Luckmore's sales pitch consists of sentences such as the hesitation in your voice, soon to be an echo in the spheres of retail, soon convinces Sheila to buy a red dress. Perhaps the dress is too small, Sheila remarks, but soon enough she is convinced to pick it up. This is no normal dress, however. It's possessed. It's evil, and years later ends up in the hands of machine washer repairman Reg, played by Leo Ball, who's about to get married to Babs, played by Hayley Squires. Anyone who comes into contact with the dress appears to be put under its spell. What is it, and why does Mr Lundy watch his sales associate sexually arousing a mannequin? And what the fuck is going on? In Fabric is a bizarre film. It's funny. It's absurd and every time you think you're getting comfy with it, it turns and manages to shock and surprise you. Although in truth, I never felt convinced by it in the same way I did the Duke of Burgundy. The first half of the film deals with Sheila, an immensely sympathetic character, a working mother separated, struggling to find love in the new and depressing world of being single. I first saw Baptiste in Mike Lee's Secrets and Lies, a performance that did actually garner her an Oscar nod, and she is easily the best convinced and executed character in this film. She'd have that dress, it would seem, as it is for her a daring deviation from her normal safe space. It's a red dress. It might be too small, indicating possibly her body hang-ups, or is she even too old for it? Can she still be sexy? We know that it's sex that she actually craves. And we know it is sexual contact that she craves, just look at her bedroom with the empty bed being quite a clear metaphor. But make no mistake, you're in Strickland's film, and like directors such as Wed Anson and Arya Starr, this is a filmmaker who creates very specific worlds that function in their own self contained ways. He knows how to shock us, and it's not the way perhaps we would normally come to expect. In the case of Duke of Burgundy, it was the ridiculous a sub begging her dom to purchase a toilet so that she could be defecated upon. The serenity of this scene can't help but make you laugh, but it also might make you recoil in horror at the thought of it. And then there's that moment of aforementioned voyeurism as she becomes jealous of the sexual activity of her own son. And let's be honest, I've never seen anything like that in a film. And in someone else's hands, it might be sallow-esque in its shock value, but here it goes by with barely a whimper, Sheila wants a shag and why should Vince have all the fun? After all, doesn't she deserve it for putting a roof over both their heads? And for someone newly single, I love the idea of Sheila using Lonely Hearts as to find a new partner. It was in keeping with the analog aesthetic of Strickland's films. And of course, this is because it's the pre-digital age, but it's the process that requires a degree of trial and error. We see something similar in Barbarian Sound Studio as a sound engineer, Gilderoy listens through his reels over and over again, trying to find the perfect sound mix. We see the reels, he rewinds them, tinkers and perfects. Sheila shows a similar dedication to the details, selecting possible dates, gently folding her picture and letters, hoping to find that romantic connection. Her motivation for purchasing the dress is obviously to try and make herself more attractive. And despite the grandiose name. Her first encounter is with Adonis, a barely present boar who clearly has no interest in her. It's a bizarre scene, both amusing and also sad, and a good microcosm of the film's tonal shifts. Adonis is an idiot. His profile notes that he likes humour, and when pressed as to what kind of humour he likes, he simply notes things that make him laugh, without even bothering to look up from his menu. Yet there is compassion in this scene. We can see how lonely Sheila is. Her attempts at making herself more appealing have not been noticed. That dress, that daring gauntlet that she has laid down in her pursuit of happiness, has done nothing to get her anything of the sort. It's why possibly I felt In Fabric was actually quite a cruel film. And let's be honest, horror rarely is nice and kind to its protagonists. But Stridon operates on the fringes of so many genres at once, so to even call it a horror seems slightly disingenuous. As a mystery rash appears on her breast, we know Sheila is in trouble and the dress is beginning to exert its powers, from shaking the washing machine to making noises in a cupboard. You're sharply reminded that despite Sheila's domestic situation, there is evil afoot. As a horror, it isn't scary. And in reality, I think Strickland isn't out to have you hiding behind the sofa in terror. Indeed, the dress floating around kind of reminded the type of image that would scare me as a child. It kind of reminded me of horror I would see in the likes of Doctor Who or a BBC or Channel 4 produced play. Something like 1992's Watch, which put the 12-year-old me in a coma through fear. And on the subject of fear, we do need to talk about the film's department store, Dentley and Sopa. I've read many reviews that seem to think that Infabric is having a sly dig at consumerism. The Saw puts out a weird hypnotic advert to lure patrons in, and possibly this is the angle they're coming in at. And if it is, then I don't really think Infabric is saying anything that hasn't been said before, but I personally didn't really get this out of the film. And if that was the intention, it somewhat went over my head. What I took from the store was Strickland was really pushing what I believe is a fascination he has with fetishism. The staff bore more than a striking resemblance to the BDSM subjects of the Duke of Burgundy and partake in a variety of highly sexualized rituals with mannequins after hours. The costumes, the ceremony, the art tradition, this is Strickland at his most controlled. I found department stores to be baffling places as a child. I can always recall the smell of them from the perfume counters, cigarettes, the shaken and vac on the carpets and the waft of coffees from the cafe. They seem, in my memory, places of faded glamour. I knew I fancied the girl in the underwear section, but the nine-year-old me had no idea what I actually wanted to do to her. What I did know was that these baffling places would suddenly become stifling hot and would suddenly make my mother suddenly dash for the exit, acting a little bit crazy. Were I to mine these memories for some sort of creative inspiration, I think there'd be a lot to take from them, and Strickland has clearly done this. Perhaps the filter of memory, Italian horror that he so clearly adores, the adult Strickland has turned the department store into an oddly erotic scary environment that will have you trying to remember if they really did send notes up the chute to receive a change via a tube as opposed to having actual functioning tills what we see may look crazy yet strickland seems to know exactly what is going on and his camera shows us in all the graphic glory but what he's not going to do is explain any of this to you for some this may persuade them to dislike In Fabric for being too ambiguous and focus on the film's obsession with craft and composition, leading, I suppose, to the inevitable criticism that In Fabric, and indeed Strictly in general, is far more a man of s- substance than style. But for me personally, I don't care. I don't want to know where the dress has come from and what it all means. There was a scene in Groundhog Day that explained what was actually happening in the film that was eventually cut and in the film works just as well without it. In Fabric is just fine too, without Strickland telling us what is going on. And it is very much a film of two halves, literally. With the Sheila story ushering in the dress's next adventure, sometime later we see the hapless washing machine repair mechanic Reg being made to wear it on a truly awful stag do. Now we find the film in what I assume is the early 90s. The aesthetic feels decidedly Noel Edmonds with the type of people you would see being set up for a secret camera to shock them suddenly during an episode of Noel's house party. Reg has a strange gift also, an ability to send people into a kind of sex-faced trance whenever he talks about repairing the washing machine and soon finds himself being terrorised along with Babs by the dress. It's not so much that In Fabric loses its way in the second half, and certainly the comedic elements of the film feel far more pronounced. Reg and Babs remind me of about ten couples whose weddings I was forced to attend in the 90s, and by that I mean strangely attractive, worrying, marrying rather dopey husbands. The issue, moreover, is the second half made me wonder if In Fabric would have played better as an hour and a half film featuring Sheila, which does lead me to a mild confession. Strickland's films always feel far longer to me than they actually are. and A good example of this is Brevarian Sound Studio. An hour and a half, it actually feels like two hours easily. And The Duke of Burgundy 2, and I say that is one of my favourite films of the past few years, did definitely feel like it was going on for far longer than it was. In Fabric is his longest film to date. During its second half, I felt that like it could have actually finished 15 minutes earlier than it did. Yet yeah, I have to say I did enjoy the film. The moments of pure absurdist comedy with Sheila's bosses Stan and Clive who transition nicely into Reggie's Babs story are quite brilliant. You're not sure if they're a couple or just a pair of Jobsworths and the dialogue being a slight detachment from reality yet just enough familiar enough with that awful corporate speak to remind us those types exist in a diluted fashion in every company you have ever worked for. It's also definitely his best looking film to date. Ari Ragnar's cinematography is a joy to behold. The care and composition of the images, as well as the startling shots of the bright arterial red, which is the dress's description in the store, might not reach don't look now heights of costume scares, but it's an arresting image all the same. I was also particularly taken with the film's score, provided by Craven of Antimatter and no, I'm not even going to pretend I've heard of them before, whose music lends more to the film's horror elements than it does to the comedy, providing a dense and at sometimes creepy soundscape to proceedings that I'm fairly soon will be found on vinyl and will eventually push me into buying a record player. But ultimately, I was here for Strickland, though. He's an artist with a vision. He hasn't had a big hit yet, and to be honest, I don't think his films really have a massive appeal. In fabric, feels like his most personal film state, everything about it is composed and controlled with an inch of its life which at times I felt distanced me somewhat as if in fabric was a little too stilted at times too perfect perhaps composition pacing and meticulous designs to really get under the skin of it perhaps I wanted an out and out horror or a comedy or an absurdist satire One or the other possibly, as its tone shifted from one to the other, I did find myself a little detached from the overall experience, and I have to confess possibly disinterested by the overall narrative arc of the film, but I feel like I was in safe hands, and the film presented a familiar world to me, Sheila answering the phone by saying her number actually made me laugh out loud. I recognised the film's nods to other genres and the fun it was having, and it felt like a legitimate cinematic experience. One thing is for sure, I enjoy what Strickland is doing, and I may not have loved In Fabric, but I certainly cannot wait to see it again. Oh, so that's, okay, so that's going to be this slightly short episode of the 24 Frames Cast. I will be returning very shortly. Um, in the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter at 24FramesCast. You can follow me on my blog at 24FramesCast.blogspot.com, and you can befriend me on Facebook. Um, and you can email me at 24FramesCast at gmail.com. Many thanks for listening, and I'll be in contact soon. Bye.